0: Welcome to The Art of Being a Mum, the podcast that's a platform for mothers who are artists and creatives to share the joys and issues they've encountered while continuing to make art. Regular themes we explore include the day-to-day juggle, how mothers' work is influenced by their children, mum guilt, how mums give themselves time to create within the role of mothering, and the value that mothers and others place on their artistic selves. My name's Alison Newman. I'm a singer, songwriter and a mum of two boys from regional South Australia. You can find links to my guests and topics we discuss in the show notes, together with music played, how to get in touch and a link to join our lively and supportive community on Instagram. The Art of Being a Mum acknowledges the Boendick people as the traditional owners of the land which this podcast is recorded on. my special episodes to mark Australian Father's Day 2022. Steve Davis is a marketing consultant, educator and trainer, comedian, theater reviewer, and podcaster from Adelaide, South Australia, and is a dad of two girls. Steve was passionate about being in radio from a young age. He recalls being 12 years old and listening to his red transistor radio in his bedroom at home and deciding then and there he was going to be a radio announcer. This morphed into journalism and Steve spent countless years in newsrooms across Adelaide radio. After a negative experience in the newsroom in Adelaide on the day the Twin Towers fell on September 11 and the weeks following, Steve witnessing the way journalism was used to fuel fear and increase ratings, Steve became quite jaded. He quit within a week and joined a marketing company and was there for the next 19 years. He then decided to go out on his own and started his own marketing consultancy, Talked About Marketing, which is based on a saying by one of his literary heroes, Oscar Wilde, there's only one thing worse than being talked about, and that's not being talked about. In 2013, Steve was looking for a creative outlet, and he started the Adelaide Show podcast, a show that passionately showcases the people of the great state of South Australia. His podcast holds the title of Silver for Best Interview Podcast in Australia in the Australian Podcast Awards of 2021. Apart from podcasting, After Hours, Steve does character-based stand-up comedy as his two alter egos, Professor Sebastian Longsword from the MBA School of MBA Credentials and social sales whisperer Darren Hill, DH. Both have a website and LinkedIn profiles, and they get booked to MC events and deliver talks. Steve has also appeared in a reality TV series based on his experience in the School of Hard Knock Knocks comedy school called Is This Thing On? Steve is driven by curiosity and says the formal setting of an interview is his natural habitat, whether that's in the studio or around the dinner table. Steve certainly inhabits a strange world and he wouldn't have it any other way. He is a self-proclaimed microphone tart and enjoys being behind the microphone. Today we enjoy a really fun and lively, but at times quite serious chat, covering journalism integrity, raising girls, and the significance and authenticity of including your children in your art and creativity. This episode contains discussions around a near-death accident and stillbirth, If today's episode is triggering for you in any way, I encourage you to seek help from those around you, health professionals, or from resources online. You can find a list of international resources that I've compiled on the podcast landing page, alisonnewman.net slash podcast. Music you'll hear on today's episode is from Alemjo, which is my ambient and new age music trio, comprising of myself, my sister, Emma Anderson, and her husband, John. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Please be aware this episode contains some strong language and expletives. Thank you so much for coming on, Steve. It's a real pleasure to have you here on a special Father's Day episode. I'm
1: a little bit daunted, to be honest, but I'm glad (laughs) to have the chance to chat with
0: you. Oh, lovely. So we have met before, you know, full disclosure for the audience. I, I've met you before and I've, um, I'm a fan of your podcast and you've been generous enough to include some of my music on your podcast in the past. Um, So I'll just say that first. So if we talk about things and people go, I don't know what that means. <laughs> it's right. a, you know, um, just put that out there. But <laughs> so for those who don't know what you do, Steve, can you share what, what you spend your days doing?
1: All right. Um, Let's do the day part of my day. Yeah. Uh, That's spent running my uh, business, which is called Talked About Marketing, which is a little marketing consultancy. There's about five of us who hover in that orbit, um, primarily working with small business. And it's named after a very famous quote from Oscar Wilde, who's my literary hero, uh, which said, um, there's only one thing worse than being talked about. And that's not being talked about. Mm -hmm. And when I um, got tipped out of a nest I was in before uh, and had to start my own business, um, it just hit me in one bit that Oscar Wilde has been my totem, if you like, throughout my life. And it was just perfect to call that. So that's what I do through the day. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, uh, that takes me all over the place at nighttime. (laughs) <laughs> it's a little bit mixed up. So I do the Adelaide Show podcast um, as my one of my little, yeah, I consider it a little community gift. I love doing it. I love sharing stories that aren't often heard. Mm. But then I also ventured into the realm of stand-up comedy. Um, we might get to how that happened later. But um, yeah. uh, in that I have since evolved to have two different characters um, professor Sebastian Longsword, who's a doddering old MBA professor, and Darren Hill, who is a sleep—not not, sleazy—he is a—he just thinks he's cooler than he is. He's a social media sales whisperer, and uh, <laughs> the,
0: the, I love that description. <laughs> a sales whisperer. His
1: his big thing is yeah, hashtag DH, <laughs> uh, which he is completely unaware of the dual meanings of that. He just thinks it's his initials, but it's emblematic of how he is. Anyway, um, that's what I do in the evenings primarily. They're the main things. Mm -hmm. um, And look, I also do theatre reviews. So I suppose that falls under the artistic banner as well, Uh, reviewing theatre, which I've done for, well, 30 years now.
0: Yeah. And are you still doing your training where you you teach people about social media and things like that?
1: That's right. That's part of my day job.
0: Oh, I yes. Okay. only
1: yep. recently over in the wonderful uh, far western South Australian town of Sejuna, doing that last week, which is about as far away from the side of South Australia that you're on yeah. uh, that you could possibly get to. So yeah. Yeah. No, yes. I'm still doing a lot of
0: that. Oh, great. Because that's how you and I first met uh, when I came to one of your trainings, which was awesome. Um, I told my dad I had to do it for, for his work, but really I was doing it for my... <laughs> My own selfish pursuits.
1: Yes, I <laughs> remember the to double everything. rationale.
0: Yeah. Oh, dear. And I should mention too, you are from South Australia. You're in Adelaide. Have you always been living in South Australia?
1: For most of my life, um, except when I turned 25, my girlfriend at the time had gone travelling Europe to find herself. Mm-hmm. And so that was it ball of tears things are over and then about you know 18 months later she says I've just discovered Hungary I think you'd love it so I went over and stayed for a week uh, there's oh, my goodness the stories from that week um, <laughs> that we fit in um, Budapest Vienna and Venice uh, and was flying back so I'd uh, we were flying back on. Had to fly back on New Year's Eve of uh-huh. whatever that year was, 1991, and uh, had to catch a train from Venice into Vienna. I'd booked a hotel room at the Vienna Hilton. The only place left was 350 bucks. When we got there, they said, "Sorry, we had to let your room to someone else." Uh-huh. So this is before mobile phones and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. I said, "What were you doing?" She said, "There is an option. Would you mind if we put you in the presidential suite on the 18th floor for no extra charge?" <laughs> which was oh. fascinating. But, of course, when you're in that room, your whole half of the top of the Vienna Hilton on New Year's Eve, mm-hmm. you use room service. So it ended up costing 550 bucks. but it was worth it. Anyway, oh, wow. um, so I ended up, came <laughs> back, gave notice. I, I was, had been working at the one radio station for seven and a half years, gave notice, and went back a month later with a one-way ticket and lived in Budapest for two years. So apart oh, wow. from that, I have lived... In South Australia.
2: Yeah. I, and
1: sorry, I just one little footnote. My references to living in Budapest happen often. It just pops up in life. It shouldn't. It's sad. You'd think there'd be some other anchor in my life. But I've got a dear listener who's listened to the Adelaide Show from day one. His name is Alexis Catley. Mm-hmm. And he has a drinking game. Any episode where I mention Budapest or living in Hungary, he has uh, a sip. that's so... brilliant.
0: Well, hello, if you're listening. Yes. Make sure you have one for me.
1: (laughs) Oh,
2: dear.
0: So going back to your beginnings, how did you first get involved? Um, like you, you said, you were you were doing something previous to to starting your own business. Was yeah. that sort of in the same area? Like were you always involved in this sort of sort of area?
1: No, it was uh, radio, mm-hmm. and I remember being twelve years old, sitting on my bed at home, listening to Five AD, which was the hot station at the time, on a little red. Transistor Radio, yeah. and uh, whoever was on, I think it was Matt Ford, but I can't remember, they did a crossfade from Deep Purple's Smoke on the Water to Racy's, I think it was Racy or Smokey's Carol." Yeah. You couldn't think of the worst two songs to put one after the other. One is heavy grunge, bluesy grunge, and the other one is pop. And at that moment, I just looked up in the air and said, this is what I'm going to do. I want to be a radio announcer. Uh, and so at that point, I just fixed my head and no one could talk me out of it. I remember in high school, um, towards the end with the career vocations, the teacher was saying, look, you're doing well, you should be, you know, go. I said, no, radio, they said, no, you've got it. So I had to choose down three careers. Um, mm-hmm. And I thought, bugger this. So I put down president of USA as option number one. Um, I put down, I think it was NASA astronaut number two and radio announcer number three. I said, there, I've blocked yet. Uh, and so, and I did year 12 just to fill in the time. Cause I thought no one's going to hire a 15 year old pimply kid as a radio announcer. And after, um, I did a radio school course with Vaughn Harvey, the late great Vaughn Harvey, whose voice still echoes around the universe today. He had one of those voices that was like, um, "Hello, I'm Vaughn Harvey. And this is the Harvey Cardwell Report." He was a very, very beautiful, <laughs> wonderful man. about three foot high, like a bearded <laughs> gnome, but he was amazing. Uh, oh, there's a, there's a possibly. Legally questionable story that's fun to tell That involves Uh him and my time in Hungary Which we might get to But long story short uh, 18 months out of school doing part-time jobs um, He said uh, uh, Steve, 5MU at Murray Bridge Have contacted me There's a a job coming up Can you go to an interview on Sunday morning And this now, For people who don't know I was in Adelaide, Murray Bridge is a country town About 50 minutes away I had no idea how far away it was. To me, it was the country. So yeah. that's like three hours minimum. So I got a good mate to meet me, and off we went at 6 a.m. to go to this 10 o'clock appointment <laughs> on a Sunday. We had packed an esky. Uh, we're talking 1985 here. Uh, packed an esky. Oh. We had, you know, we. And at six fifty a m, it said, "Welcome to Murray Bridge." And so we had to kill time. Anyway, I went in, did the interview at ten, and came out and said, "Um, I'm on air at three o'clock this afternoon." Uh-huh. So anyway, that started my role there, and I worked mm-hmm. there for seven and a half years in radio. Uh, and then that turned into journalism. I mean, the radio got work in Budapest as well. I started doing some talk back in Adelaide, mm-hmm. And this all this journalism and radio, Came to a head when I was on air in Adelaide when 9 11 happened. Oh. I was in the newsroom at Mix 102.3 and 5DN when that existed. Mm-hmm. There was five or whatever 5DN morphed into. And um, I was the one who broke the news oh. that that would happen. And then the news director called everyone in. And our job for the next week was to find every link we could between 9-11 and South Australia and Adelaide to keep people on edge and glued Mm. to their radios. And I just said, nah, nah. I have a higher bar for journalism, the fourth estate. I think it's Mm. one of the most crucial things on this planet, and its job is to be the guard dog of of truth, you know, keep the lies out and... uh, Within a week, I quit, and uh, a person that I knew uh, said, "Look, I've got a marketing company, and because I also did photography, needed to start with that and some writing, and I switched over uh, to marketing, where where I was for you nineteen know, odd years, mm-hmm. and then started talking about marketing after that." Gee, that's. A- Please tell me to shorten my answers. Oh no! Like.
0: that's a that's a, that was actually a very concise answer. That was really good. Okay. No. and look, honestly, talk as much as you like. This is your this is your show, Steve. You, t- oh, you take it where you're not where you want to. It's interesting you talk there about that. Um, it was almost like they, would, they were turning um, the experience of 9-11 into like fodder. They, it was, you know, to try and um, diminish it in some way just to keep it entertaining and keep people listening. Um, does that... I'm, I'm kind of looking for a link here. You're talking about things like journalism is like the gatekeeper. Do you find these days... The, the amount of misinformation and disinformation and that sort of beating things up and clickbait. Was that sort of, I guess, the start of that kind of thing?
1: Well, look, I think that um, I ha- had the pleasure of interviewing Peter Gresti, uh late last year. He's an Australian journalist who was wrongly imprisoned on trumped up charges in Egypt and was in jail for 400 days. And mm-hmm. may I... I can't believe he agreed to be on the show. And you know, we had a good, deep, warts and all chat about journalism. That, and look, here's my position that was horrible. We were still, um, I think, the Gulf War period at the 80s when news started moving towards the 24 hour news cycle which at the time I would tell anyone who would listen that this is wrong. When you increase the volume of news you need, you have to reach lower into the barrel to fill it. Mm. And that's not good. And there's so there's that. And of course, there's a thing which the BBC has tried to stamp out recently called false equivalency, where if you've got, say, a scientist being interviewed about something and there's someone who just has this random idea, false equivalency means you give 50% of time to the scientist and 50% of the time to someone who's got no evidence to back up what they say. Mm -hmm. And, And so they have luckily moved to follow, I think, Bertrand Russell, great English philosopher from the early 20th century who said, you defer to an expert when they're talking about their field of expertise, but not if they veer from that. And so that's sort of mixed up into, I believe, um, we have this inclination this day and age to think we know everything. And so if something an expert is saying doesn't jibe with how we see the world, we just dismiss them Mm. and not honor the 1,000 or 10,000 hours they've spent like going through in depth. And, and here's the thing, there's a wonderful thing that since I discovered it early in it sort of mid 2000s, uh, this thing called the Dunning-Kruger effect, it's helped me have a compass. And the Dunning-Kruger effect, in short, says, uh, this, this is based on research of, of, over many years, um, when you know little about a subject, you instantly think you're an instant expert. You 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 have no qualms. You have confidence to go mm. forth. When you are actually a deep expert, they're the people who say, "Well, it depends," and they understand nuance and they know there's more to know, mm. which works against the authority sometimes of the experts because if they're being honest, they'll say this is within a certain probability what we think, which allows others mm. to nibble at them. Yeah. Exactly. Now that's on one side, but yeah. there's another thing with journalism today that that. Um, I hear people say, oh, there's a conspiracy in journalism to to do things on purpose to us.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: I am not a conspiracy. I'm not wired for conspiracy partly because trying to organize people doing something together in the daylight is hard enough and never works yes. to think people can do it clandestinely. So I don't think there's any grand uh, plan using anything to do with media. What I do think is the numbers, because Google and Facebook have robbed journalism uh, institutions of all their income from classified ads, they don't have the same resources. They've got less people. And the only way they can survive is to, as you said earlier, Alison, get the clickbait. So they've got to sex up their stories. And sadly, the algorithms that Facebook And YouTube views uh, put engagement above everything else. And the Mm -hmm. engagement that gets the most attention is typically anger and hatred. Mm -hmm. And so we've trapped ourselves into a corner where the stomach that a proper editor has to allow a journalist to go deep and follow something through is shortchanged. Because Mm -hmm. if they allow that and they don't have the clickbait stuff going, they don't have income to be here tomorrow. Mm -hmm. So it's messy. Yeah. and there are good people out there in journalism but the system is of funding is broken and i would love as um uh, i would love the model that france uses to yeah. come into play where the government actually funds a certain percentage of journalists they don't have any editorial control but mm-hmm. they say to the organization here you've got these people let them do good journalism and i think that would make me much warmer towards the fourth estate these days because it would give it mm. breathing space to mm. deliver yes. stuff that sometimes I don't like. I don't care. I have to change my opinion when new facts come to the table. Mm. To be and, challenged and you know, think about so things
0: a different way. Yeah,
1: That one sort of unwound a bit, but it it, it, mm. it isn't black and white to me. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah.
1: It is flawed. It's a human enterprise.
2: Mm.
1: And the yeah, clickbait yeah. layer just doesn't help. Mm. Sorry, I'll just finish on this one. I did an interview with Natalia Bujenko a couple of weeks ago. She's a Ukrainian woman who's Mm. been living in Adelaide for many years, and we did a deep dive on what's happening in Ukraine uh, because she's got 10 cousins still living there. And she just, the absolute horror of actual genocide that's being meted out by Russia Mm. is not enough all at once to get the Rupert Murdoch type organizations to continue working hard to make us and keep us interested. And so mm-hmm. you get a celebrity who throws her top off and that will take all the focus because that's fun and that gets the clicks or Tommy Lee, you know, oh. he'll expose himself. And so that gets yeah. all the oxygen Yeah, and there are people, little kids that mm. like the one point something million um, Ukrainians have been pushed to the far East of Russia, uh, separated it's just horrible it yeah. really is bleak yeah but we don't have the appetite because they need the clickbait mm. and anyway so yeah i i hope one day it can, and, and there are avenues where it is restoring itself but yeah it's bleak but it's not all out to get us that's the thing it's just yeah. it's just human it's a human enterprise
0: yeah i'm i'm glad you mentioned ukraine because i know like i listen to a lot of ABC and BBC radio and because the BBC World Service is, you know, the 24-hour news service. So I'll often leave that on while I'm asleep, you know, and then I'll wake up in the middle of the night and I'll be like, oh, what are they talking about? And so you do get the updates on Ukraine, but you have to almost look for it. You know, it's not there. It's not the front page. It's not the first thing that comes up on the, the news websites, which is, it's disgraceful because like you said, there is so much horror going on oh. over there and it's like we've just blinded ourselves to have gone, Oh yeah, that happened. What was that? February. Oh yeah. No, that that's not happening now, you know? And um, there's a few people that I follow on Instagram who are constantly sharing updates and saying, this is still happening. You know, it's, yeah. we cannot forget about it. You know, we cannot just let it go. And oh, it just makes me so uncomfortable that we are not, you know banging the doors down and saying this has to stop this has to change because we've just you know Tommy Lee does his uh, thing and we all go oh let's get distracted by that you know it's it's appalling it's horrible
1: and, and the thing oh. that wraps all this up is the well uh, the unbearable lightness of being which is the title of a magnificent book by uh, VACLAV HAVEL and it's an amazing movie i'm going to watch it with friends again recent uh, soon in a couple yeah. of weeks and that title, The Unbearable Lightness of Being, I would be happy to sit around a party, a dinner table, and just discuss that and tease the part for hours because our existence on this planet is light. And that lightness is unbearable because we've got the heaviness of what's happening in Russia. And we have the light fun bits of someone doing something funny that we whom whom we know. And that's all part of it. I, In the interview with um, Natalia, I made the comment that a little while back, or a few years ago now, I sort of fainted at night and fell down and hit my head and discovered later that if it was a couple of centimetres either way, I wouldn't be here talking. Oh, gosh. And when I had to go to hospital for observation, when I came out, having been contemplating my mortal brevity, um, nothing had changed in the planet. Everything kept moving. The buses were still going and you go, mm. oh, okay. And look, and that's how it has to be. The world has to keep grinding on
2: mm.
1: and it is It is messy. Um, oh, your guest recently, Lisa Sugarman, she oh, yes. made a point about, hey, it's messy mm. and we just have to deal with that. So it is. And mm. so we can't flagellate ourselves for not staying true to course with mm. following Ukraine. But the role of the, the prized role of an editor whose job has been to say, this is important, this is important, is a prized role. Mm. And I think it has an important role to play in our society. And when that is downplayed um, because, oh, we need to get some sugar hits of mm. you know clicks and likes, yeah, nobody is served by that. Yeah. And so it is balanced. We can't be too hard on ourselves, but we have to try if we care about yeah. being part of this human tapestry.
0: That's it, isn't it? it it's got you've got to continue to try. And I, I mean, I understand you've got to have light and shade. It can't all be doom and gloom, but we yeah. can't let important things be out of our mind for too long. I don't think, anyway.
1: But that's right. We have to survive, and we've got you know that thing they say on planes where if the cabin pressure drops, put your mask on first and then help others. If we let our, our oxygen be too sucked out by being depressed by all these things over which we have little control, then we can't really help anyone. Mm. So it is a messy enterprise. Mm. But that's basically. a good
0: analogy. That That's a good way of looking at it. And that's a, actually um, a few of my mums on this show have used that as an analogy for their own self-care of looking after themselves and then that enables them to look after their children. Because if you're if you're down, everyone is, you know, <laughs> you can't you can't pour from an empty cup. Uh, yes,
1: and I had the, the chance of meeting Jane Goodall um through oh. the Adelaide Show many years ago. Yeah. And she's the lady who lived with apes and and, and re- very strident, level-headed conservationist. Mm-hmm. And the question I put to her was we feel so helpless with these things. What do we do? And she said, you have to forget the big picture sometimes and focus on what you can do on your square inch
2: Mm.
1: of the world and do something there. Then you'll feel empowered again. And from there, you know, as Paul Kelly sang, from little things, big things grow. Yeah. And that's why I was at the Ukrainian club the night before we recorded this, um, just to meet some of the people and support them, have dinner there yeah. and pay that. and you know, they they've had a room where people had donated clothes to look after some Ukrainian refugees who had come across, mind you, quietly, the government's now stopped that. There is no more invitation for Ukrainian refugees. And really? Natalia made the point, the trouble is if the politicians aren't being needled by the populace to keep it up, they can shut it down. Yeah. And if the journalists aren't interested enough to keep the heat on, mm-hmm. then the population isn't, and then the government's left off the hook. Yeah. And so it's all a little sad circle there. However, mm-hmm. there was a little thing we could do and to be there and to support them. And that's what we could do because my family and I all went and we listened again to Natalia's episode in the car we were all choking with Mm. tears at points because it is so real and heavy but we then got to meet them and have fun and 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 engage and that's the Jane Goodall advice she's very wise so yeah the 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 message is we have to make our way through and look and it's not bad to look after ourselves on the way it's Mm just getting the balance right and we'll get it wrong, and then we correct ourselves. One last thing, sorry. No, go on, please. It's Alison, I love this. You are asking questions that are opening up things. Um, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Uh, Stephen, have you a mental blank?
0: My dad Uh, had that book. (laughs) Yep.
1: Um, Oh, I quote him all the time, and I'm having a mental blank. It'll come to me in a moment. But there's a beautiful analogy that he uses, which is these huge jumbos that fly from L.A. to Sydney, are off course, according to him, about 90, 95% of the time, they are off course. All that's happening, uh, Stephen Covey, uh, all that happens is our instruments just nudge it back and then nudge it back and then nudge it back. And he was saying we have to be kind to ourselves in life. We will be off course often, but it's not a case for giving up. It's Mm -hmm. a case for just nudging back, nudging back, nudging back.
0: Oh, I love that. Jeez, I could apply that to myself many times.
1: <laughs> we all can. Oh, goodness.
0: Yeah, that's beauty. I, I love that. I'm glad you kept on with that train of thought. <laughs> Getting these little nuggets of gold. All right, changing text slightly. You are okay. a father, obviously. Mm-hmm. That's why I've, I've got you here. Part of that reason. Can you share with us a little bit about your your children?
1: Yes, I've got two daughters, um, AJ and Caitlin, and they're fourteen and twelve. AJ's the oldest. Uh, what can I say? They they have. If there was a Venn diagram between the two of them. Uh, There'd be a, a good bit of stuff they have in common. They both are very grounded and have a strong care ethos for others. Um and both can uh, but both are very clear. When they've decided what they want to do, they can be quite focused on that. Mm-hmm. And then you look at the bits of the Venn diagram where they're different, and AJ is this, it's like she should have been born in a tent in the savannah. She is an outdoors person yeah. who loves horse riding, uh, getting filthy, pushing herself to the limit, running, you know, all that sort of outdoor stuff. She talks more coarsely than the others, yeah, uh, uh, which is a little bit from her... Um, late gran I think she got a lot of that from mm. um she's a little dynamo she's short so yeah. I keep using terms like little um <laughs> and doesn't give up uh and just uh, we were at a friend's house recently at a place called Bugle Hut in South Australia which is up near Renmark Berry for anyone who wants to check on a map just inland a bit and uh, they have a horse a retired old racehorse a big like huge horse mm. and um she let AJ hop on it, and um, Yvette was saying, "I've never seen that horse. Just it, it bought like it just it, which was able to trust AJ. Yeah. AJ trusted it, and she said it was just magic. It was mm-hmm. absolutely beautiful to see this pint-sized little little twerp <laughs> controlling this horse. Was just fantastic. Oh, and that's the, lovely. And um, and uh, uh, and the other one, Caitlin, is more towards the Reflective, um, uh, she does gaming. A lot of talking with mm-hmm. a lot of other people around games, um, and on that express, she does. She's in the choir. She does drama,
2: yeah,
1: uh, and she's sort of skewed that way. So they're just, um, you know, it's just. <laughs> I love them to bits. I had the Mm. privilege recently, we went to stay on a houseboat for a few days. Uh, Unfortunately, my wife couldn't make it because she was an acting head in the department she works for So, and just had that thrust upon her, so just needed to stay back. Mm. But it turned out to be, you know, um, silver lining because I got to spend just quiet downtime with them. Mm. And the thing I will remember, one of the things I remember the most was the drive. It was a three-hour drive. And the iPhone's connected to the car sound system. And I handed it to Caitlin and I said, you're the DJ. (laughs) All three of us will go around and play a song, but tell us why. And so that whole journey, I was amazed. They've got great music taste. I mean, (laughs) either bad for kids because I liked it or (laughs) I'm just an odd bod. But we all three of us said that was amazing. We learned so much. We got to hear songs we wouldn't have heard otherwise. Mm-hmm. And it was just the time just flew. Yeah. Just yeah. And so lots of little things like that just happened oh, <laughs> uh, awesome. throughout.
2: Yeah. yeah.
0: so many things so many directions I could take you there after that as I, lo- I love this when I ask a question and then and you'd be the same too with your journalist background like with people tell you things and then like I'm scribbling down notes like I want to know about that I want to know about that
1: <laughs> I love I, it I, um, just be careful what you wish for <laughs> you've already you've already had a taste
0: <laughs> hey we can make part one and part two this could be like a you know a continuation
1: challenge met
0: um, oh I love it so um Okay, where will I go first? So the girls. Now, I'm. Forgive me, I can't remember. It might have been AJ. Oh, AJ. In your um, in your recordings of your Adelaide Show podcast, yeah, is it AJ that she has a little speaking part?
1: They both do. They
0: both do. Okay. Yeah.
1: So Caitlin does the acknowledgement of country mm-hmm. at the beginning, but yep. both AJ and Caitlin share the sign off at the end. And AJ's the one who goes, hmm, buzz, buzz, I'm a B just <laughs> random in, you know, just crazy. They, they call them my voiceover angels for the yep. Adelaide show.
0: Yeah. Oh, so what made you want to include the girls in? It? Did they want to be a part of it? Or was it something you thought that would be nice to have them in? Uh,
1: wow. Well, they, oof, it's, it's a, It's probably two, no, there'd be three strands to this. Mm-hmm. So, yes, I desperately wanted them to be part of this thing because I was very mindful, especially when I started the Adelaide show back in 2013, um, that it is about 15 hours per episode that goes into prepping it, recording it, editing it, and then promoting it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that was a big chunk of dad time sort of taken out of the equation of the week. So none of this could have happened if Nadia, my wife, hadn't uh, understood it was, you know, had to be to some degree (laughs) (laughs) to keep me sane. Um, So I desperately wanted them to be part of it was one thing because there were a couple of times I remember Um, when I was growing up when dad was a builder in the first part of his career hopping in in the school holidays hopping into his sort of bizarre bongo van kind of thing he had and it felt great to be driving off to work and I thought this is as close as it gets for to providing that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, they were curious. They'd seen the mic. They played with the microphones a bit. Yeah. It's probably a bit strong at that age to say they desperately wanted to be part of it. But, <laughs> um, there was a playfulness about it. And there was another podcast I listened to. I should be careful to recommend it, but it's called, um, oh, my goodness, Mental Blank. Here we go. It is. Uh, very bad wizards um language warning <laughs> on that one <laughs> right. um it's a philosopher and a psychologist they're both tenured professors they are cool dudes yep. but you know that comes warts and all and they one of he one of theirs uh their daughters does the opening
2: mm-hmm. and
1: she says this podcast is produced by uh my dad and philosopher, blah, blah, blah. and they use language that I'm not allowed to say <laughs> uh, and and all that sort of stuff. And I just yes. loved that, that entwinement with mm. the family connection because they're not just these dudes. They're dudes who are situated within family systems. So mm. this is an expression. I think it lends to some degree authenticity. On yeah. the other degree, yeah, maybe I'm like, those parents who are living vicariously through their kids as well. So, you know, it is, it is how it is. I love it. I love mm. hearing it every time. It makes me stop. I, I can't stop it until they finish
0: talking. Yeah. Oh, that's lovely. That's so nice. I mean, I can relate to that. I've put Digby in my, just as a as halfway through the episode, I've got him going, you're listening to the Art Mum with my mum, Alison Newman. Yeah. It's like I couldn't have anyone else do it. I've got a friend of mine recorded it for me um she's like got a beautiful voice really good voiceover and in the end I thought no offense Danny sorry um it has to be Digby because he's my child you know and I'm talking about mum stuff but I think you're right it gives it gives this realism it makes people um accessible and they're not just a voice that you hear you know through your headphones or in the car whatever they're an actual real person you can feel the connections that they have and it yeah that authenticity really comes through I think. Yeah. And, it, and it gives you a taste into the sort of person they are, you know, that they're, I mean, obviously professional, but not professional enough to ignore the fact that they do have a life outside of what they're doing, I guess, if that's a way of, does that make sense?
1: Yeah, look, I think you've touched on a really important thing there with the podcast genre, same with radio, but podcast is a bit different because with podcast, a listener has to seek it out and Actively say I want to listen to you mm. And you are right in their ears Alison Every single episode yeah. So there is an intimacy that builds from that And the fact that you also Have Your child um, I think it's like, it's like, Imagine if you've gone over to your place For dinner, they'll be there mm. And so you have got The adult time around the table But there's also the meet and greet And the interruptions, you know, uh, and that's all part of it. I've started doing that with my clients that talked about marketing, actually. Um, Instead of having end of year events, I am slowly, it's going to take 50 years, working through little groups of two or four to come to our makeshift cinema at home. I cook a meal and then we all watch as a group just a movie together. So we get to socialise with no talk of business allowed. That
0: is wonderful. I love it.
1: And it is that enmeshing of everything. It's, Mm. hey, this is life, you know. We're not these. Because I think the big bad thing that happened with, especially from what I can tell, the sort of 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s and probably even lingering where the bloke went off to this other professional world and mm. was out there and then had to come home and sort of like lower down to mm. the mundane of family, which is a horrible dichotomy, mm. um, I think we've moved beyond that. And I think it's taken a lot more uh, gender balance or striving towards that Mm -hmm. in and a growing up we're still not there we're still miles away but just the yeah you have to just accept that I can't go today it's a kid's sports day or Mm -hmm. as happened to me last week girls had gastro and had to be home so you know you just and that's going to dent into things and I think clients who won't acknowledge that are assholes who are, are not showing any human respect and one of the tenets. Of talked about marketing is that business is personal. Mm. It's humans working for serving other humans. That's the, that's what happens. Mm. And that means we are part of systems and the family is a system that we're part of.
0: Mm. I loved how you got so passionate. Then I could see you pointing your finger. (laughs) I loved it. Now, good on you. That is so important. I think that's so true. Like I think back to my dad's generation, like, oh, it, I don't know what happened exactly. I wasn't there, but you sort of see the flow on effects of it. And there wouldn't, there would have been a massive separation between the fa- the father's work life, his home life, his um, social life, even, you know, oh, when I, um when I was a kid, my dad grew up in Kalangadu, which is a little town, probably 40 minutes away, mm. Very, really tiny town. And um, they had a real old traditional pub where you had the saloon bar you know, the front bar, women and children were never allowed in the front bar. It was like this rule, unspoken rule, but it was very well followed. So we'd go to the pub for tea, dad would disappear. We'd fall asleep on the chairs in the, you know, the restaurant, you know, that's what happened. And one of the first times I ever went into the front bar and I I caught myself and I went, hang on, I'm in the front bar, like it was just this weird feeling, I'm not allowed in the front bar, you know, as an adult, I think it might have even been my grandmother's funeral, you know, it was that recent, and I was like, oh my gosh, and you think in that one generation, how much things have changed, Um, and I think a lot of it, you talk about the gender balance, I think that's true that, um, you know, men have recognized that that's probably not ideal for the family unit, and I think women have stepped up a bit and gone, hang on, we're not going to, sit out there in the in the lounge with the kids all right you know we're a family unit this is how we're going to be um but yeah that just reminded me of and that was just in my dad's you know when I when I was growing up
1: yeah how yeah. deep those roots are that it, you still had that oh yeah throwback when you moved in <laughs> I
0: said to my sister I said we're in the front bar okay. oh it was, but- yeah
1: But Allison, I want to pick up, you said something really, I think you nailed it when you said it's the separation of the two parts of their life. And that's an important word mm. as opposed to um, an, an amalgamation, uh, you know, that people talk about work-life balance. Well, you can't have that unless it is that warts and all holistic you who brings stories and fatigue and being energised to both ends based on what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I work from home primarily. Yeah. And so my girls get to see me <laughs> worn out, stressed, excited, you know, the whole bit, which may be good or bad. Maybe there was a benefit of being shielded from that. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think so. I, yeah. I think they I want them to have an appreciation that life as an adult is can be pretty intense. <laughs> and mm. resilience, which is a theme that comes up a lot on this podcast, um, is going to be one of the most invaluable things. You can have in your toolkit mm. how you teach it. I don't know, but partly watching the ebbs and flows and knowing that it ebbs and flows, so it does go up and go down. Mm. There's a lot more down that rabbit hole. That yeah,
0: to I'm, weapon, I'm you know? gonna I'm gonna continue with this topic, and I, I love I love talking about important stuff and meaningful stuff. So yeah, I don't mind that we <laughs> we're just yeah. gonna keep going. Um, when I was growing up, I never saw that there was a bad side to being a parent. I just thought parents did their thing and everything was fine and they looked after us. And And then obviously when I realised for myself that it's an absolute shit show, um, <laughs> I've been, and I don't know whether I've done it on purpose or I've just allowed it to happen, mm. that my children see everything pretty much. Um, I know my mum, she came from a background where they were very protected from things. So she brought that into our own lives of, yeah, you know, hiding things from us, not sharing bad things from us with us, just to sort of shield us. But I just, I, to to a, de- a degree, I pretty much my kids know everything that's going on with me. Um, and and like you said, I don't know if that's good or bad, but I just think it's reality of life. I don't know. I don't want my kids to grow up with this idea that everything's rosy and happy and things never go wrong and then they get into adulthood and have the experience that I did where they went, oh Christ, what's all this shit? You know?
1: Absolutely. I look, I, I think the beautiful thing is the beautifully painful thing is there's no right or wrong that I'm aware of. No one's written this ultimate (laughs) guide uh, that answers this question properly. And it, 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 I say ebbs and flows again, one generation has one experience and go, yeah, I want to keep that bit and lose that bit so we'll try mm. and steer it this direction. Yeah. And I remember some sociolog- sociologist or anthropologist, one of the two, talking about how you have this pendulum swing of attitudes that go back and forth from generation to generation. Um, the The generation emerging now is tending not to... Uh, drink alcohol or smoke because they've seen how bad it is in the previous ones and then the -hmm. next ones might swing back the other way. Yeah. Um, I find that so
0: interesting. I
1: I guess the thing that gnaws at me with our open approach is when are you ready for the full throttle front row seat of being an adult Mm -hmm. as well? So there are still things that rightly or wrongly, try to shield yeah yeah so it's like training wheels a little bit um interestingly this um uh, we we um before our daughters uh we had a stillborn child uh, oh, a little right. boy mm-hmm. and um we hadn't told the girls mm-hmm. and uh it just Ah, it came up somewhere. I think it was while I was in the Riverland with the girls because of a conversation piece that someone led with. And I, I found out that my eldest had been told because by Nadia, I didn't know this because she was filling out some government form mm-hmm. and AJ being the inquisitive Snoop yeah. uh, saw it and said, what's this? And the other one said, yep, yeah, okay. And it was just accepted. Mm-hmm. And you know, who knows? I think we had made, or well, I had certainly made it out to be something that could be more life-shattering to them mm-hmm. than might otherwise have been. I was just going to wait, I wasn't going to hide it forever, but I was just waiting mm-hmm. till there was levels of different maturity to mm-hmm. discuss it because at the time it was it was destructive, like just horrible uh, to experience firsthand as the parent or yeah. one of the parents, um, but it's different, I suppose, with distance and it's abstract and, uh, mm. so where did that come from? Oh, that came from
0: yeah, how much trying to having?
1: get this yeah. right. It is a messy process because yeah. I did read a lot of books when our parenthood was on the horizon for the first time, yeah. and I don't know how helpful they were because it's like if I had to write down the instructions on how to pour a glass of water that's warm. I think if I hand wrote every consideration that took into account um, judging the temperature, making sure the glass itself isn't too cold, you know, angle, all these sorts yeah, of things, yeah. it, it could actually be warm. overwhelming when it's yeah. really simple. So mm. books about parenting can make it seem more of a mountain than it is. Mm. It's still a mountain, but I think we kind of have to take our own pathway up there somehow mm. and hopefully reach out to people who tro- who have trodden the path before when we ask.
0: Yes, that's a very good point. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, yeah, because that's so true. Like everyone's experience, everyone's parenting, how they were parented, every child is different. You know, there is no book that's going to tell you how to raise your particular no. child. It's
1: possible that some of the books, some of the things in some of the books helped. I just can't place it. Mm. It it could well have echoed around the subconscious, but it is a moment, well, it was for me a moment of blind anxiety, panic, and excitement. The moment we walked out of hospital with AJ, our firstborn, Mm. um, and putting her in the car, realizing that. I'm now responsible for someone who has no way of defending themselves. Mm. That was the most nerve-wracking drive ever (laughs) when it really became real because you couldn't just tag team a nurse. (laughs) That was it, baby.
0: Yeah, you're off. (laughs) You're listening to The Art of Being a Mum with my mum, Alison Newman. So you've mentioned your wife a couple of times, Nadia. What does she do?
1: Mm, Good question. She Um, works in a field I understand very little of, uh, which is systems analysis. And um, so basically when an organisation wants to revisit how they, all their different Um, data systems all work together she is an analyst who gets into the weeds with that but she's one of these people who is the translator between the business and what the business needs and the geeky nerdy techs of whom I count many within my friendship circle uh into a language that they understand because it is chalk and cheese Mm -hmm. and so people like Nadia um Make things happen that actually match what the business needs, as opposed to going off down rabbit holes. Which is right. my gift.
0: <laughs> so it's like she translates between the two worlds, kind yeah. of. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's basic. I think that's it in a nutshell.
0: Yeah. Well, there you go. Good on her. Um, so you you talked before about um, the the I think you said it was fifteen hours. T- mm. For for an episode, which is actually interesting, it's made me think about how this, how long this takes me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, when you sort of, and, and you said she understands that this is something you need to do. This is like your outlet. This is important. Um, does she have things on her side that she has to do? That's like her outlet. We talked about that. You know, putting on your mask first, that sort of stuff.
1: Yep, netball coaching. Yeah, right. She is. The coach of both of my daughter's netball teams has been for five years or so. So, and that means at all the games, uh, running the the practice sessions, um, thinking about strategy, you know, um, watching other games uh, to get inspiration. You yeah. know, just dealing with the bureaucracy within the education department sometimes when you are trying to do your best to volunteer and, you know, not necessarily always being having that lovely gift respected, having mm. to jump through different hoops. Not, I'm not talking about the child protection stuff, because that's really important. That's going to happen. But there mm-hmm. is some ridiculous bureaucracy <laughs> that happens from time to time. Anyway, that aside, yeah. uh, that's her. Like, She just thrives on yeah. that um and because uh, she's been a netballer herself her mum was a netballer mm-hmm. uh, she's from tintanara which is a little country oh, town yeah. in south australia so she yep. grew up in the the country netball yeah, where it really was part of uh life oh yeah and yeah. has instilled that and now um oh, yeah the the eldest i mean i think that's helped keep the girls Excited and fascinated, they're both moving up for for trials for club teams and state teams, and oh, AJ's job. just progressed on her way to an Olympic squad thing. Oh, so
0: wow, it's
1: just—I mean, very early days, like really tiny step forward, but, but still,
0: that's pretty awesome. Yeah,
1: so it's—you <laughs> um, could live
0: out any dreams you had of going to the Olympics. <laughs>
1: exactly. <laughs> Because I know people would look at me and think, wow, you're a really wiry sort of athletic build, Steve. Mm. Or the opposite. Um, Yeah. So so I think that certainly gives her some grounding outside of the nine
0: to five. Mm. Yeah, that's awesome. That's good. I want to talk about um you've got two daughters do mm. you ever feel daunted and nervous and concerned or I don't know if they're the words but bringing up two girls in the world that we're in and the world that it's changing and becoming what are your thoughts about that
1: <sighs> many faceted it makes you well mm, okay wow you know how to ask the question on one hand I think the growing up, many layers of society are doing in embracing the actual positive business benefits of diversity in leadership teams and teams general, the more that works its way through, the less one's gender or ethnicity should be used as an exclusion factor uh, and it means that if there are bastions left, which I'm sure there are, where it's blokes, uh, they will continue dissolving, so that my daughters um, aren't repelled by those, you know, arbitrary divisions. Mm. So part of me is hopeful on that front. And look, heaven forbid, I'm I would expect, and I see this in a lot of, uh, interestingly. Um, did the sums of the day in my marketing, more than 8,000 business people have been in my various workshops. Uh, and therefore I've done mentoring with them over the time. Mm-hmm. I would say close to 90% of those would be women, yeah, right. uh, often solopreneurs or running small businesses. Yep. So in some ways, I hope through hearing stories about my clients that if the girls have an idea of something they want to do, they do it themselves. They don't have mm. to go through a system beholden to other people's opinions mm. because the market doesn't seem to be as discriminatory. The market doesn't care if it's a product or service that they want, they want. Mm. It's, it's the butt covering within systemic HR systems and old blokes clubs and, and what have where we get stimmied. Mm-hmm. In progress on that front um, We've done our best to Well, we have We've done our best to Be encouraging Of blocking Of, of blowing away any Senses of limit
2: Yeah
1: uh, uh, I think And and Got to uh, The girls get to meet all different sorts of people They wouldn't otherwise Thankfully um, through my podcast, got them to meet lots of different people, which just, I think part of what can trap us, apart from systemic things that are happening in the society, are self-limiting things which come from not seeing other role models. Mm. And so reading or meeting people who have forged different pathways just goes, oh, it, it means it's not even a thought that I can't do X. So from mm-hmm. that side, that's one thing. Yeah. Then you've got the threat of violence
2: mm.
1: uh, out there. And that is disconcerting in many levels because I, I have become aware in recent years of how even I'm not really a masculine guy. I've never actually been in a fight, <laughs> um, but I don't, ha- and I, and I, there are times when my hackles are up walking around late at night, going back to a car from a theater show in some places, but it's not often. It's very rare, Mm. but I've been awakened in some of the deeper conversations I've had in the last 10 years that as a female in this society, that's a privilege that I've got not to have to be on guard a lot more. Um, Like, Permanently, like really mm, aware all of the it, time.
2: yeah.
1: And so, I have to acknowledge I've got blinkers on, and it's just the nature of the bloody chromosomes I was given and the society that has, you know, built up around me. Yeah. Um, so I don't know what to make of that one thing that only give, that gives me a little bit of hope that it might. Well, this is the external stuff. Then you've got the internal with domestic violence too. But if we look mm-hmm. at externally. Um, When you actually do methodical reflection on data, we are living in the safest time ever in human history, which Mm -hmm. goes whoa. Well, you whoa, hang on, hang on a minute. But statistically, um, it really is. Uh, It doesn't mean it's. I'm not full heartedly saying that. Yeah, let's go off with gay abandon and (laughs) (laughs)
2: it's
1: all easy. But comparatively. it is. It, and when you actually hear, I think it was, um, I think Pinker is the researcher who's done this. Um, but, the, but I've heard really deep analysis of this it's, and it makes sense. And it also is why our girls go off all over the shop with their bikes, yep. walking, catching buses, um, because... I was told by my cognitive science mate, who did my show with me for one time, who made it made me sit down and push my face into this data, and yeah. say, "Hey, Mr. Murdoch and his people want to drum up all the fear,
2: mm.
1: but let's be realistic. When you look at what the real risks are, it is minuscule, and so if you give in to that, you're robbing them of experiences. So there's mm-hmm. that side, yeah. and then." Yeah. There's the what about when they're in a relationship with someone and behind closed doors and mm. I I don't know. What I do know is hopefully picking up on cues if there is any sense of trouble and by looming large in the life circle of my daughters so that any potential spouses and other family members and friends are very aware mm. that this is a switched on engaged family and yeah yeah, you're not being dismissed because that is you know, the figures on domestic violence and and murder mm. is yeah it's, it, it's, it's it's like that Ukraine thing we talked about. yep, so I can't throw the first stone and say, hey everyone, we're all being bad, we're not reflecting on Ukraine because I'm not reflecting on this every day as much as I should either. and this is mm. that eternal crazy balancing act that will never be perfected. So yeah. Yeah. that's a long wrap. I, I am in balance, really optimistic, and looking forward to them just chewing up this world. I think the mm-hmm. world needs both of my daughters. Yeah. They both have amazing gifts to bring, and I'm hoping it's not just dad wonder that's saying that I'm looking at these people as humans
2: yeah.
1: compared to all the humans I've met, and there's some dead set incredible power these girls have for good that they Mm -hmm. can apply to the world and to their their lives. So I am glass half full despite Mm -hmm. all of that, but I'm just letting you know that (laughs) I'm aware of the ripples in that glass.
0: Me about the Adelaide Show podcast for people who haven't heard it. It's not about the Adelaide Show. Just let's put that out there first. Yes. It's not about the actual Adelaide Show. Yeah, it's a show about Adelaide.
1: The Adelaide Show is where we put South Australian passion on centre stage. So it because I'm a South Aussie and from Adelaide. Uh, there's a couple of things. First of all, in 2013. It began well. <laughs> there's a really bizarre story about how it began, uh, which actually is close to your part of the world, Alison. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, look, I think it, it, I think it's worth just sharing it briefly because it does give an insight into the seemingly unquenchable energy and drive that I've got for it. Mm-hmm. Um, it was 2013, and. I was at Chardonnay Lodge oh. uh, down in South East, South Australia, away from home again, running workshops, and just the so much stress was crushing me I was I would have been happy to step off the planet, and were it not for having a three year old, a five year old and a partner, um and I thought, something's got to give here, something's got to change. I need an expression outside of work because mm-hmm. I haven't inherited my dad's workaholism. And so I do work oh, 15 hours a day. Minimum. Like It's rare that that's less than that, yeah. and that's bordering on seven days a week. And I felt my life was just filling like cardboard, mm-hmm. and a friend had said to me, would you be interested in... Well, we were both angry that all this Twitter stuff was happening, say Adelaide's boring, because Adelaide, as an Australian but of jokes Mm. is considered the boring town Uh, along with Canberra. They're the two that get that. And I had this realization. I said, oh, Colin, we should do this. This is what I I want to re-tap into my radio past and do something. And so with uh, Colin... Long and, and Brett Monton, we created a podcast called Another Boring Thursday Night in Adelaide because <laughs> we wanted to meet this head on yeah. and stare down anyone who said Adelaide is boring. And I grew up, there's a band called Red Gum uh, and they had a song called One More Boring Thursday Night in Adelaide, a tongue in cheek, funny song. Um, and so I know John Sherman; he's been on the my podcast, he's a great bloke. And I said, look, could we use the opening 30 seconds of that song as our theme song? And he said, look, I'd love you to, but I don't own the rights anymore. Talk to these people in Sydney. Mm -hmm. And they said, sure you can, $1,500 per year. (laughs) Whoa, there's (laughs) no way Nadia is going to. I mean, she's lovely, but she has a (laughs) limit. So Brett is a singer-songwriter. So he ran our own tune song, our own theme song. And Mm -hmm. so we started. Three guys. And at that point, it wasn't an interview-focused program. It was. It was actually a lot of fun. We would talk about different bits of Adelaide and South Australia. And we also had a thing called the um, the Adelaide visa segment in right. which I would bring three samples of tweets in which people had used the word boring and Adelaide in a tweet. Yep. And we would sit in session as a visa council and discuss the pros and cons, and either they get away with it, they're making a good point, in which mm-hmm. case, boom, boom, a big stamp thing, they get a visa.
2: Yeah. Uh,
1: and if they're not, we cancel their visa. And then we tweet this <laughs> to people and we would say, You, you have had your Adelaide visa rejected. Yeah. Um, anyway, oh, that's we had brilliant. <laughs> we had one guy tweet back saying, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, and I love Adelaide. And he was actually the, that's right, he was the head of the um, the Adelaide United Soccer Fan Club. Oh. And so in our, in our judgment, <laughs> <laughs> we had cited that, saying you have a higher responsibility, uh, good luck getting in next time you travel interstate to see the team, good luck getting back into South Australia. He was so apologetic. Uh, we then reversed that and <laughs> gave him his visa back. And so there's this big, we, we created a bit of hullabaloo. We got a little bit yeah. of media coverage about what we were doing. Yeah. And and then, but by episode 80, we did every week. In fact, the first five years of the podcast was weekly and did not miss a single week.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: By week 80, we just started to discuss, we dealt with that. Um, there wasn't much left of people saying Adelaide was boring mm-hmm. and, We'd move towards more interview formats. And we there is an opening coming up, and the PR person said, Look, we'd love to invite you, but the client's nervous of, about having another boring uh, one, another boring third. the boring thing they didn't. Mm-hmm. And we said, you know what? We've outgrown that. Let's call ourselves the Adelaide show and rejig it. So now we're not trying to react against something negative, we're going full bore positive. yeah. and so we had that. And our first guest was Paul Gordon, who's a social media um, uh, lawyer. And the whole interview was about right. If I was part of the Royal Adelaide Show, could I sue us for calling ourselves the Adelaide Show podcast? And so we had the whole <laughs> legal discussion in which he said there were no grounds so that we could go forward. <laughs>
2: Yeah,
1: and that's if any if they made any moves against us we could say well listen to episode 80 and it will save us all the legal fees <laughs> and we then ended up doing oh, um we got invited we got clutched to their bosom we got invited <laughs> into their world and yeah. we had some amazing um interviews with the adelaide show the royal adelaide show uh and in fact the Riverland trip, was as a direct result of that. The yeah. former president had invited us up to do a special one, and we went back. We caught up with him while we were there. So it's just this Anyway, long story short, since then, we're up to episode at this time 357. And I just look for South Australians who are passionately engaged in some sort of endeavour. They don't have to have any celebrity standing. In fact, few do. They just need to be wanting... To talk about the thing they care about, whether it's doing magic, whether it's their Ukrainian hometown, whether it's the history of rabbits in Australia, um, you know, science, uh, health, acting, you know, drama, movies, you know, you name it. We have talked about nuclear physics, you know, we've covered everything and it's just for, and it is perpetually propelled. By my curiosity. I've just mm. I've just got that DNA makeup that I'm always just, hmm, you know, hmm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So and I can relate to that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: That's wonderful. Oh, I love it.
1: So it's eclectic. Mm-hmm. And on the homepage at the Adelaide we've got a, the, the current episode is on the front, but also on the right hand side is there's about 12 or 13 different categories so people can click through to choose a clutch of programs of of, of a topic they care about. Mm-hmm. And probably a really heartening thing is at, as we speak, um, we are currently the holder of Silver for Best Interview Podcast in Australia.
0: Oh, congratulations. So that
1: was, thank you. Oh, it's, that's it awesome. Was, yeah, it was lovely. And um and i like that because it's judged by my it by peers by professionals in the media it's not just mm. a popularity show yeah and because yeah. i think it's lovely that i love the dynamic of an interview environment whether it's at a dinner party or in a, a studio wherever around a the table there's something about the asking of questions and then the listening to answers and mm. then Picking up on something from that answer to ask another question and yeah. then shifting topic that I just yeah. love that. And we don't get a ch- much of a chance to do that in the short bites we get in the rush of life. And oh, certainly yeah. in the mainstream media um, shows, they've got that like, 10 seconds is considered a long answer yeah. and you never get to depth.
0: Yes. There. Yes.
1: Whereas at Absolutely. least with my answers, um, you got not only some depth, I hope, but Mm. also a cure for insomnia if you're listening to this (laughs) while your head is nestled on a pillow somewhere
0: in the world. You do have a beautifully soothing voice. Oh, no. But I look, I so agree with that. And I feel like Australia used to have, before the rise of this um, reality TV, we used to have really good quality, um, what were they called? Oh, it's on the tip of my tongue, but like not variety shows, but
1: Oh you know those... what I mean? Like shows yes. where
0: it would be real people and they would have discussions and um like Andrew Denton was is one of my favorite interviewers because he does that thing where he'll ask his question and like you said you wait for the answer and then from that he'll find something else to talk about. Yeah. And I love that. And and um Ray Martin gives me the absolute shits because it's like literally reading off his little clipboard <laughs> this is my next question no matter if the person just said something so groundbreaking it would change the world he'd just go right my next question is this like he'd never deviate from his plan um yeah and I feel oh. like yes I feel <laughs> like we've we've really lost and the time because everything has to be in short bites to keep people engaged you know yep. it, oh, I don't know we've we've lost that I mean the ABC still does it pretty good on shows like um like Australian story and things like that, where you delve into people, but that just, that back and forth conversation. And maybe that's where podcasts are coming into their own, you know, maybe that's where things have changed a little bit, but
1: mm.
0: I, I love conversation. Like I, i oh, sorry, I'm getting really wound up now. I'm shaking my fists.
1: <laughs> Go for it. I can see it. Oh, but <laughs> just,
0: I, I know there's a place for small talk because there's not a lot of time in life necessarily, but I, that it really irritates me. Like, I want to know about people. I want to know what makes them tick and why they do what they do and the factors that influence them. And, like, I don't know, I'm just indulging myself in this this podcast world um, and and people listen to it and that's really nice. But I feel like it's, like, I, mm. I love talking to people about proper stuff.
1: <laughs> well, yes, that's how we craft meaning in life. Mm. Yeah, and- yeah. And I look, there is a place for small talk because that is the that forms the little bonds between each other. It sort of aligns ourselves, but then to stay there is an impoverished mm. experience. Whereas to use that to then propel deeper into topics will be mm-hmm. great. I mean, my character, Darren Hill, next week is going to be the MC at some business awards. And they have a networking period, like 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. And he is going to give them some questions to start that networking. And they will be the most unexpected, absurd topics you could ever imagine. Yeah. And my thinking there is we people clam up because uh, most of us, according to, uh, I think it's psychologists who can tell us this, are actually worried about how we look. Like it dominates ninety five plus percent of our attention, Mm. and so everyone's worried of what what they look like, without realizing. Well, that means that no one's really worrying about what they look like because everyone's worried about themselves.
2: Yes, and there
1: to put the question forward in a networking event, people either are bombastically saying, "Hey, come and buy my thing," Mm -hmm. or uh, they're sort of too nervous to do anything. But. If they've been given permission by this stupidly crazy MC to ask people, if you were a cat, you know, what colour fur would you prefer to have? And would you consider, I don't know, I haven't even made, I haven't even worked it out yet, but yeah. the, you know, it breaks the ice mm-hmm. because it's a little trick. I, I'm making them not look at each other with everything being high stakes, but I'm saying, okay. hey, look over there and while you're doing that guess what you're now in conversation
2: yeah and
1: so yeah. and it just breaks that ice it's why little trick that i do mm-hmm. with the adelaide show um mostly not always because sometimes i've got some pre-recorded it starts with the south australian drink of the week
2: mm-hmm.
1: and what we have typically done when it's face to face it's changed a bit the last couple of years but typically i ask the guest to bring a south australian alcoholic beverage mm-hmm. if they drink alcohol yeah to share. And so we drink that. And I find out about why they chose this one. And I do my bizarre wine tasting notes and all that sort of stuff. But what it's doing is it's that same trick. Look over there. They're now not panicking about the interview. Plus the alcohol's just lubricated things a little bit. Thank you very much. And (laughs) I get a free drink. And there was a period there Mm -hmm. where there was this ongoing serial Jealousy between guests, and they kept bringing more and more expensive bottles of wine <laughs> until someone bought a Penfolds Grange oh, there, a bottle of wine, which is we're talking $650 a bottle. Yeah, uh, but even in Australian dollars, that's a lot for your American listeners. Um, about $45 American, but <laughs> it was you know beautiful and, it, and it's and it was fun and it was just, it's just yeah. that trick. I yeah. don't know how we got onto that. Oh talking, yes, yeah. deep conversation. Yeah. Sometimes it just takes that little bumper car to knock us out of being straight jacketed mm. and, and suddenly it's like it's the pressure's off.
0: Yeah. That's it is and it? we can play yes. with our thoughts. Yes. And that's when all the good things flow, all the good juicy stuff comes out. so you talked about um dh there a little bit Can oh yeah share how how did you get involved with comedy
1: um through the podcast mm-hmm. <laughs> um i it was about i was just before 2018 i entered the australian podcast awards with adelaide show i went over for the um awards. We didn't, we we were finalists for Best News and Current Affairs podcast. Mm-hmm. But I got to meet Maury Morgan, who ran the School of Hard Knock Docs, which was a comedy score. Yeah. And uh, a couple of months later he said, Steve, we're going to run a class in Adelaide. Would you consider promoting it for us? And I said, Well, is this a stand-up comedy course? Yeah, he said, Five nights. Uh, Glyn Nicholas. Will be the teacher. Now, Glyn Nicholas, many Australian listeners might remember, mm. on a fantastic show the ABC used to have called The Big Gig in the 90s, which had the Doug Anthony All-Stars and all sorts of comedians. He had a character called Pat A. Biscuit, in which he dressed up as Patsy Bisco supposedly, yeah. a, a school teacher. A kid, a little children's kid with a little bongo, a little. uh,
0: Where's Bongo? Yes. He's behind you, behind you. (laughs) Yes. He is hilarious, that
1: man. Um, (laughs) He he was going to be the teacher. And so he said, The thing is, you have four nights of um, working up and creating material. And then on the fifth night, we have a performance night. You invite friends and family, they pay tickets, they come along, and we put on a stand up show with a couple of other comedians as the main acts. And I said, Look, what if you put me through it and <laughs> I will, because it was about, I don't know, 600 bucks to do the course. Mm-hmm. And he's, and um I would cover it thinking, because I've always wanted to do it. It was the last bastion for me of pushing, because I love talking. <clears throat> Comedy <laughs> was like no safety net. Uh-huh. And I thought, oh, well, I'll just ask. He'll say no. And he said, okay, you're on. Oh. So he called my bluff. Yeah. And I remember going to the first rehearsal, driving across town. You had to come with two minutes of stand-up material, having never done it before, oh. so that Glynn could get a bit of a feel for it.
2: Yeah.
1: I could feel my pulse in one of my eyebrows as i I was so nervous, the blood pressure was i am just shaking, yeah. So, Mister Hop in front of any crowd, all good, was suddenly this ball of wired panic. (laughs) Anyway, did it? Kind of got a laugh or two, you know, not much. And we were all just as bad as each other. And Mm. then, um, Glenn just has the most masterful. Way of unpicking things and looking for where there are strengths and suggesting this might not be an area forward, but this one. Yeah. Anyway, long story short, did the opening night. It was hilarious, great Mm -hmm. fun, and got a bit of. It was just nice to have it done. The thing I learned the most from it Mm -hmm. was structure. Mm -hmm. Um, the key difference between someone who can make people laugh at the pub. And someone who's doing it professionally is the professional will make sure that the part of the punchline that delivers the punch is the final part of the sentence. So, um, it, w- when we just tell a yarn around the pub, we'll often deliver that, but there's a bit more of the sentence just to finish off. Mm. And we're in friendly company, so people sort of laugh, but it's so much more powerful when you go kabang. And yeah. really, apart from other stuff, that is the most fundamental thing that it taught. Right. So it did that. A few months later, they were going to do the course again in Melbourne, but film it for a TV show, which is now online. You can watch this on YouTube. It's oh, called Is Brilliant. This Thing On? And it's a six-part reality TV show. Yes, the thing we hate. <laughs>
0: the dirty word. <laughs> but it's
1: different when you're in it. <laughs> uh, where... They ran, Glyn was the teacher again, but they did a different structure. It was six days and nights. There were 10 of us and they went through the course again, but each day there was a different comedian guest who was going to teach us something. So Elliot Goblet is another person from the past. Uh, Jack Levi is his real name. He taught about short punchlines and being a bit absurd and, um, you know, also a number of different comedians. And that was fascinating to perform at the end of that week, having been filmed every moment. Mm. There was a bit midway through, I was working on material and I just had this moment of panic. All my confidence shattered through the basement and disappeared. And I I oh, I went to see Glenn, who was doing a lunch break. I said, Glenn, clever chat. And I said, Glenn, I can't do this. Mm. I'm a fake. And uh, I just remember it beautifully.
2: Yeah.
1: And it was just he and I, and he said, mate, I have directed huge names, actors around the country. Everyone experiences this. There's a little voice on your shoulder that's whispering in your ear. And this is what I want you to do. Turn your head to that voice and say to it, fuck off. (laughs) Fuck off. And he said, because it's got no right to be there. So let's regroup. And sure enough, it was just the most beautiful bond. He and I are dear friends to this day. Yeah. And uh, he, with my shows I've done, especially the Professor Longsword shows, he was my director and he just knows how to bring the gold to the surface. You mm-hmm. sort of lay down a footpath and he goes, oh, there's a gold coin. There's a gold coin. And you go, oh, wow. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so um, so the comedy thing, that was how that happened. Yeah. And then that was just doing stand-up and then Because in my marketing day at work, I've done an MBA. I think MBAs have some value, but there's a lot of wank. (laughs) (laughs) There can be. Yeah. There can be. And so the professor was developed as an outlet for this um, just to poke fun at the whole MBA enterprise because MBAs used to be a four-year solid degree when they started like 100 years ago. Mm. And uh, now you see them, hey, three-month MBA. And it's just this shunting people through. Mm. So the professor took it all the way at the Fringe a couple of years ago, and he had the lunchtime MBA yeah.
2: <laughs> where you come
1: for lunch and leave with a degree. <laughs> and uh, and it was quite hilarious. Yeah. Uh, so, so that's poking fun there. And Darren Hill is a new character who pokes fun at the ludicrous aspects of this whole social media influencer phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Uh, he... He talks about he's the one who stands behind to make these social media stars. In fact, he's given birth to more social influence, uh, social media influencers than Chris Jenner. Uh, (laughs) And so, you know, he's he's right there and just takes that to that extreme. Yeah, yeah. He's really broad and ochre, whereas the professor is much more, much more reflective and sort of higher English.
0: Yeah. Oh. Um,
1: I I don't sure if I fully answered the question, but that
0: I can't remember what it was. Now. <laughs> it was
1: about what prompted them, and that's how I got to these characters. Yes,
0: that's how you got into comedy
1: because I've got material from both of those strands of my marketing work, and mm. I can poke them out in different directions yep. and have fun with them. Yeah. Like the professor has just delivered; it's online now. A fifteen minute, I think it's a thirteen minute MBA meditation that you can listen to, and he'll <laughs> guide you through a meditation. And it all started because I am actually doing a meditation course with Sam Harris at the moment, which is amazing 10 minutes every day.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And he starts off, and then there's quiet, and then he comes on. And so, with the professor, I just wanted, I just had this idea now, I want you to focus very closely. And he, he read something from Philip Kotler's marketing book, and then there's silence, and then there's a little, and he pretends that no one's heard this. And then he gives him something else. And then there's a the little rattle of his teacup. Because <laughs> he doesn't quite get it. Um, oh, but, I love it. And then <laughs> he's, he just, you know, <laughs> I just wanted That's to brilliant. get that out of my system. Yes, uh, yeah. Because he's a doddery. He's like a Mr. Magoo. <laughs> he, and, and there's quite this thing where Tuesday nights they have the faculty meeting in the school hot tub. And they're all nude uh, and it's bonding. And so he's just lives in the, I, I guess I live in fantasy worlds when I get into I those characters, because they're both on LinkedIn. As You can follow oh, these people geez. on LinkedIn. <laughs> uh,
0: I have to move the microphone away. I'm laughing way too much.
1: Like, I love that Sebastian Longsword on LinkedIn keeps getting these LinkedIn messages saying, hey, there's a professor job open at Flinders University. And, very tempted to apply for one at some point.
0: Oh, geez, that is brilliant. That is so good.
1: So There's a bit of larrikin mischief. Oh, uh, that's awesome. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Bloody hell. Yes, oh, so my man. girls
1: get exposed to all of this.
0: Oh, back to you girls yes identity about how sorry i'm gonna just have to go ask my three rowdy people out there who are playing table tennis just to keep okay. it down i hope yep. you're sick sorry steve uh, there's actually five of them out there my eldest son's oh. got two friends over that's why it's oh. so damn loud out there <laughs> all that's right good sorry so sorry i'm here
1: all day oh. <clears throat> <laughs> your listeners are going hang on a moment. Really.
0: we've got so much time but see isn't that the good thing about a podcast you can press pause and you can come back to it later you know
1: exactly I
0: love that because someone told me one time I had this really long episode and someone told me oh you should make like two cut it into two and I said no but that's up to people like everyone's listening to this in a different environment they might want to listen to it for that long or they might want to come back to it later so it's not up to me to decide for people yes you're a benevolent
1: you're a benevolent dictator (laughs) A benevolent podcast.
0: I am a benevolent podcast. All right. Okay. So, Steve, that didn't have children. How did you your view of yourself or how you saw yourself change or not change? Might not have. I don't know. Um, when you became a father,
1: it did anything change in my self identity pre and post children? Look, it surely did. Um, subterraneanly if I can just make up an adverb on the fly (laughs) uh, because I wasn't necessarily convinced of the parent enterprise as something I kind of knew I had a societal and social responsibility to do this because I am prone to slipping into uh, evolutionary thinking from time to time (laughs) and understanding that ultimately I'm here because the genes within me want and need to replicate to maintain their march of existence. (laughs) And so I sort of have to go along the way. I mean, you can go way too far and be very reductionist in understanding life, but I'm, I'm aware of that, that we need... Well, need probably a bit strong, but yeah, that is the way of things yeah. and it is actually noted no i no, I knew that it was for me a profound source of me. it gave meaning to my life mm-hmm. to be doing my tag team bit for the genes within me mm mm-hmm. Which sounds very cold and like a James Bond villain, but um, <laughs> there was that role, but I wasn't ready. I didn't feel ready. I didn't feel like a parent, um because parents are these different types of people who kind of have their shit together and they they? they run things, <laughs> and Where have they you know met what- these
0: parents
1: <laughs> I don't know <laughs> they know what to do, um. Uh, and they just do stuff. So I wasn't there. Mm-hmm. And so it was late. I was late. I'm, well, let me just quickly do the, <laughs> I reckon I was close to 40 or thereabouts when I ventured into parenthood. Mm-hmm. Um, I suppose we could say that given there's a 10-year age difference between Nadia and me, Nadia was still in what might be considered the Goldilocks for, uh, zone age-wise for mm-hmm. women. Yeah. Um, uh, so this is dodging the question. No, I'm, I'm trying to enter the question and find the right entrance point. I just wasn't ready and I didn't think I could. But at the same time, the, there's a thing inside me that happens whenever I go to run a new workshop. So even the workshop you would have seen me do yeah. uh, or any performance, you get to a point where you say, well, nothing can stop now. We have to step out on that stage and just do it. And that was the way with which I approached parenthood. Yeah. Um, we just had to step on this way. Uh, so we had the unfortunate uh, first step, which mm-hmm. was heartrending. Uh, I remember driving back from the hospital to get a few things to take back after the baby had been um Uh, removed and placed aside, the body, Um, just screaming in tears and on the phone to a a couple of dear friends Mm -hmm. who were just, you know, godsends. Um, We rebuild our world and Nadia's a very pragmatic person and so right, we're getting back onto this. Um, See, parent material. Um, (laughs) And so in the lead up to AJ's birth, The naming thing probably drew me in, okay? So I am a huge fan of Leonard Cohen. I am his biggest fan. I am obsessed by the man. Uh, He was my absentee dad growing up. I I had a dad, but because I'd moved out of home very early, Mm -hmm. um, driving the highways late at night, his songs and concepts would be telling me stories. Um, And he was my company. And I love his poetry. And so I convinced Nadia that the when we knew we were going to have a girl, I said, "Can I go and choose all the female names Leonard Cohens used in all his written works, songs and poems, and put them in a poll and ask the world to vote on what our daughter's name would be <laughs> And so she crazily said yes. So I did this, and back then, we're talking two thousand and eight. There was a thing called Poll Daddy, which is ironic. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Um. And so we put this up. We had a thousand votes. Uh, and the one on top was Alexandra, and uh, thankfully it was Alexandra. Then Suzanne, and then Heather. Mm. Um. And anyway, so I, that was me. I think trying to connect my world of the poet reflector being enmeshed with the stuff of life, the messy, bloody DNA of life. Uh, so that hooked me in. And I remember one thing very clearly. Um, Alexander was born. Nadia was taken to a room to sort of recover. And I was taken back into the room and there was AJ in a little cot You know, wrapped up in that blanket the way they do So you get a good dose of claustrophobia right from the word go Uh, And I was quietly getting my laptop out to do work (laughs) And just as it was about to open I was struck by fear That the first thing AJ would hear Was the Microsoft music when the computer opened And I slammed the lid I couldn't let that be the case
0: Yeah
1: and so I reached into my bag and brought out the complete works of William Shakespeare.
0: <laughs> As you do. As you
1: do. <laughs> and I went over by her and I read a sonnet to her. So that Making me that, <laughs> that was the first thing that she heard. Aww. And then I opened up and I played Alexandra Leaving, which is the Leonard Cohen song mm-hmm. that she's named after. And they are the first two things, apart from the doctors and nurses, mm-hmm. that she heard in her life. And I was just, yeah, that was part of me getting, and still very superficial, you know, um, haven't earned any dad points yet. Um, I've earned <laughs> my radio producer, journalist, curator points. <laughs> but um, it was then being taken in and taught how to bathe AJ by the nurse, which was fear instilling this little thing just hardly bigger than your hand. And you had to do this and it would squirm around and it had bones and flesh and stuff. And, uh, but then doing that more at home, changing nappies, how quickly we forget what that was really like, Mm. but you just shut up and do it. Um, And to be honest, although i tried to do my bits i being the workaholic and with nadia having the chance to have some time off from work mm-hmm. to to get she took the lead in that first year or two um and i my flaw is that i think i am very oral based language based i needed a, a language connection mm. to really deeply, t- like, so I was committed. Yeah. You know, she, I, I loved the fact that we let her, it was, and it was mainly me lobbying for this, let her sleep in the bed between us, even though all the books say, Oh no, no, said, mm. no I'm not going to smother my child. Mm. I loved, it was the only way I could feel less helpless is if I could be there as a human shield on one side while she slept. You know, should anything bad happen? Um, and then once the language happened, then it deepened and deepened and deepened uh, to the point that very early on from year dot for both of them, we would just, I, I started with rhyming. I, I wanted to have a lot of rhyming and I did a lot of improvised theater. So we're doing that. Then we would make up songs yep. uh, all the time. And she got a little coffee espresso machine toy one from someone, uh, and uh, we made them say, "Put another coffee in the coffee machine," um, you know, and all that. And so, and they became songs we sung. But even when Caitlin was later born, the same thing happened. We would go around the house, the three of us, is making. I would do the first songs. Get to the point where there's going to be a rhyming word,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: they had to come up with that word. And they're the things I remember from that sort of level of connection. Still, I suppose you could be saying there's still levels of superficiality there. Um, I am the cook at home, so Mm -hmm. I, to me, maybe it's selfish, but it's how I feel I can be useful and needed, and I love it. It Mm -hmm. There is some time. I'm the slowest cook in the world, (laughs) and there is... Every recipe is full of lies when they <laughs> say prep time twenty minutes. Yeah. Nothing, nothing is less than an hour and a half. I cannot rush. Yeah, uh, uh, but I and maybe that's my little bit of downtime. But also the serving up. Mm. I remember when COVID first struck because we we do eat together as a family. Um, I remember the girls. I was ex- experimenting and pushing things out, and they were just like, oh, this is great, Dad. Really, this is. And it's like, wow, it's like a little mini, if anyone knows the castle, the movie, The Castle, where yeah. the dad says, geez, love, what's this? It's chicken. Oh, wow. You know, yeah, it's a bit like that. Yeah. But it's so satisfying. Yeah. So I felt part of it. So, you know, I'm there. I, I've done my, I, I'm in it. I can't claim to be fully over 50% of the job but enmeshed, that I love them, you know, they're, they're just love watching them grow as humans and mm. to be part of that. It's a privilege to be in their little world and then keep that balance. I can't be sucked in to be their friend. I want to be friendly, but I am their dad. Mm. And then there's some beautiful communication that's happened since. Sorry, I'll draw this to a close, <laughs> but I remember my <laughs> If there was a dollar, there's a new drinking song for uh Alexis every time I say, I'm sorry, this is going long. Um, <laughs> but it is this uh she wrote on her because her birthday's the day before mine, so we're sort of bonded that way. Mm-hmm. She wrote me a card, I think it must have been a 13. So, Dad, I'm about to become a teenager and There's going to be some changes happening in my body and there are going to be some times when I'm going to be hard to be around and hate you, but I want you to know that I love you deeply despite all of this that is probably going to happen. It's like, wow, that (laughs) is a beaut human right there. Maybe something's happened right (laughs) <laughs> you know, along yeah. the way yeah. to call a spade to spade like that, but in a gentle way, but just matter of mm. fact as well. Hey, you know, that's how it is.
0: Yeah. Oh, what beautiful kids you've got. That's lovely. Oh, good on you. And that's the thing like, I don't know. Sorry, I have a big stretch. <laughs> you think about the stuff that your kids will remember. Like I think about that a lot, what my kids mm. will remember from growing up. And you know, it's it's that stuff you talk about, like this the songs in the car on the three hour trip, everyone sharing their songs, you know, these these things that you said a couple of times, you know, superficial. But I think as humans, like we have we have to use something to get deeper. So there has to be a something up here before we can get down there. So, you mm. know, we don't we can't diminish that what could be seen as superficial. Like you said before about, you know, the small talk, it leads to something deeper. There's always that. I don't know. It
1: just seems to make sense. Yeah, mm-hmm. you're right. And there were lots of fun times where AJ was reading her books and they had tippers and diggers and mm. like all the trap books. She loved them. So, to get them to sleep sometimes when I was home with them, I'd pop them both in the car seats and we'd be driving around hunting for um, tippers and diggers and, oh, there's one. Yeah. Lots of things. I, I probably borrowed a bit too much. Oil from the planet. Uh, in that pursuit, but it really it um, soothed them, mm. <laughs> and it was fun having those hands. I'm hoping that might pop up in a in a memory somewhere. I'm the same, Alison. I I, I wonder what will be remembered mm. because it'll be the things that we probably don't expect.
0: Yeah, yeah. It'll be it'll be things that we. Saw as insignificant or yes. as flippant or whatever, they'll be the the big things because that's the stuff I remember as a kid. Like, Dad had these. He, I think he wanted to turn me into some sort of genius, and it <laughs> kind of went the other way. He had these cards that had like <laughs> big red sticker dots on them, and he would hold them up real quick and get me to tell me, like, estimate how many were on there.
1: Oh yes,
0: actually, I do credit him for teaching me how to estimate because I'm very good at estimating very quickly. How many? Like, there's a i've won a lot of guess how many things are in the jar so maybe oh wow but he and i remember that and i don't know to him that he probably don't even remember that but i really remember that these these big red dots coming at me and they quick put it down like
1: <laughs> good on him
0: oh god and i'm useless at maths i hate maths oh my god <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh, yeah, gee. who knows I just hope it's on the positive side of the ledger That's the best you can hope for oh, yeah. That there's something that makes them smile When they mm. think of it Although yeah. I did think to myself the other day That they'll have 357 plus episodes Of The Adelaide Show to listen to <laughs> If they want to Because there are little bits of me that get oh. You know, exposed during those And they could piece together what he was like <laughs> Yeah You know
0: <laughs> oh, gee. oh, I love that Thank you. inspire you in what you do do you find yourself sort of getting little sparks that you mightn't have got before because now you're a dad
1: oh wow I would hope so (laughs) I would I'm just trying that's really interesting because I think like I want them to be proud of what I do
2: Mm -hmm.
1: and there is a strong geyser of intrinsic motivation that shooting out my desperate need to be on a microphone or out the front uh which is a weakness and a a curse a blessing everything all wrapped into one (laughs) um because in it's a backward way of saying inspired i want them to be like this i want the people who have a greater chance of thriving in this world are the ones who can be comfortable stepping in front to lead a team. I mean, it's good to be a good team person too, don't get me wrong,
2: Mm.
1: but the world needs leaders and people who can help consolidate thinking and make it clear for others to be map makers, as Mm. Seth Godin would say. Um, And so in some ways by them seeing me do this, uh, here's an example, early in the, Andy and Terry, I think, had the the 13th Floor Treehouse book and then the 26th Floor Treehouse. I think mm-hmm. it's Andy and Terry. And AJ was much younger. She loved these books, loved these books. Anyway, they were coming to Adelaide to launch a new book. Um, and she. so I contacted their organizer and said, I've got a, however old she was, seven-year-old here, avid reader who is part of me for the Adelaide show podcast and would like to interview them. And sure enough, I wangled it. And so we went to the Adelaide oval where the big event was, and we got in first, we got to the secret room and I held the microphone while she did her interview with them back and forth. And then we got taken in to where the launch was before anyone else, right in the front row. And while we were there, um, waiting she was so excited and you know, thrilled i said darling this is the fruit of me being comfortable enough to put my hand up and risk embarrassment by wanting to be that person that tells stories publicly or uh, asks questions and you've shown that too and this little thing we're having here this little Extra experience is the reward for that. You don't just get given this. And so yeah. um, who knows? Maybe that might be something she remembers. Yeah. But it's if that makes sense.
2: Yeah. It's yeah.
1: it's I'd love to instill that in them, that it should just be another thing you can do, as opposed to the research that says something like nine out of 10 people or even more at a funeral would rather be in the casket than actually speaking. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, no, (laughs) just talk, entertain us, tell a story, think.
0: Yeah. That um, reminds me, I said to my, like, it might surprise you, but I wasn't always this talkative. Oh, No, I used to be really really nervous about talking to people and even lining up in shops I used to be really nervous when I get to the front of the line what I'd say and how I'd say it and anyway I thank goodness got out of that and um I said to my son we're going to see um Cosentino the the magician um guy in Mount Gambier in a few months and he desperately wants to meet him so I've done my thing and messaged and tried to contact and whatever. So nothing's come of it yet. But you know, that's what I do. I'm never. I've got this thing that I'm never afraid to ask because if they say no, it's no skin off my nose. You know, it's not. I don't take anything personally. So beautiful, um, beautiful. Yeah, that took a lot of learning as well. But anyway, that's another story. Um. So I said to him, when you're in the crowd and they say, "I need a volunteer," I said, "Always put your hand up. Stand up and put your hand up." I said because that's the only way you'll ever get chosen for things as a kid I'd think oh I really want to do that but I'd sit there and hide and be scared and no one's going to come up and go oh you little girl there that looks like you're scared shitless let's get you on the stage you know so (laughs) I've tried to teach my kids that if you want something there is nothing wrong with saying that you want it and you can get it you know that's a very short way I mean obviously there's a lot of hard work within certain things but if you're in a situation where you want something you stick your hand up and say I want this don't be like me when I was a kid (laughs) Yes. It's
1: the it's the thing of um, ask uh, what was it? Um knock on the door will be opened, asked and it will be given and something else seek and you shall find.
2: Mm. I don't
1: often quote from scripture because I've that's not part of my life anymore, but there are some profound things from the old writings that stick mm. through. That's one of them. Yeah. Y- unless you've asked, you'll never know. That's it. And so that's that's a tough one to get over. Mm. Surprisingly tough. It shouldn't be, mm. but it is. So I'm well, hoping. Yeah,
0: role I think it goes to that, that. Yeah, but that thing you said earlier, that quote about 95 um, percent of us are, are worried what everyone's thinking of oh, us. Yes, you know. Yes. I remember when I first realised that 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 thing that you said afterwards, then that that means none of us are worrying about each other because we're all worrying about ourselves. Correct. And I had this moment of like, ah, oh, ah. Oh, it was like this freeing thing because I I grew up as a performer on the stage being judged in a Stedfords, right? So you put this kid who's got no confidence in anything and stick him on the stage and have people judge them and write things about them. That's a recipe for disaster, isn't it? So <laughs> when I got out of that world and realised that one person's opinion about me does not define my whole identity, it was life-changing. It took a long time, but, you know, it's given me all these ways of looking at things now that aren't defined by other people.
1: Oh, I, I agree. And it's when I do theatre reviewing, mm-hmm. I carry that responsibility soberly that people will read this. And there are some critics who make a, a name for themselves from being acerbic and horrible. Mm-hmm. And that's not me. I will, I've will, i got to honour the people who read my reviews or listen to them, that if they buy a ticket based on what I've said, that I can look them in the eye and think it's great. But mm-hmm. I tend to put it in context that if you do like... Um, absurdist suspense filled country music then this is the show that you might like whatever the context is and then I share my thoughts within that lens as -hmm. opposed to judging it against uh, Oklahoma Uh, and there have been two occasions where I have contacted the organizers and say and said I would prefer not to write a review because anything I write, I think will be harmful to Mm. your, uh, they were younger, to your, um, your performers. And I think if we just left it as it was, it might be nicer. And they appreciated that fact um, because, Mm. you know, criticism is something you have to learn to live with, but it needs to be, I I only feel I can do it because I trod the boards for many years doing absurdist theater. and I Mm -hmm. understand the, the angst, the pain, the the price you pay for going out there. So I, I yeah. measure that, but at the same time, there are. I mean, there's a. Eh, I've just turned down some tickets to a show that's coming up because it's just going to make me vomit. I think it's just uh-huh. um, a cutesy approach to storytelling that I don't think we should be doing. And I just, I'd rather just not review it. Mm-hmm. Rather but be th- that's, that's that.
0: very kind of you to think that way. You know. It's not, and I think a lot of the people that do judge people harshly and put out, you know, scathing things, It's I think it says a lot about themselves personally and and a lot of egos involved in that because it's more about what they're saying and their words rather than, like you said, putting things in context and giving an explanation and, you know, you can be kind.
1: (laughs) You have to, and so if there is something that was a bit off, I will often his little trick. Ooh, I hope no one who hears this who's going to be reviewed by me. But I'll say, intriguingly, it seems the directors gone for uh, uh, creating this kind of feeling. Or so I've, I have, I've turned what is a potential negative, in and giving them the benefit of the doubt, mm-hmm. so that I'm doing two things at once. They know quietly that I might have seen a little bit of a weakness here but they haven't lost face mm. and the audience who read this potential audience will go oh okay that's probably not the thing i want to see so they'll get the message mm-hmm. but no one's lost face yeah. in it yeah um so that's a, and and who knows maybe that is post parenting steve who has those sensibilities that pre-parenting Steve might not have. I don't mm. know, but there is that care because we try not to just say the that, oh, that's lovely. We try to be specific mm. uh, in things that we will pr- uh, praise, et cetera, rather than just the blanket thing. Because I grew up being told by my mum, "Oh, you're top. You should be this. You should be that." And so like, yeah, it we can it lowers the value, the potency of that praise mm-hmm. when yeah. it's just never ending. Mm-hmm. Um, better than having someone on the other end of the, spe- the spectrum, though. Mm.
0: Anyway, I, as you were saying that, I just got thinking. Have you ever done um, any? Oh, I'm Not telling you what to do, but I can imagine you doing some sort of skit where you're the you're the theatre reviewer and you're reviewing your children. You <laughs> know what I mean? Yes. Oh, you've gotten out of bed a little bit early today, but that's okay. You know, like you know what I mean? Like that's. Sort of- ah. It just flashed through my head.
1: (laughs) See, I love that because the other bit from the old scriptures that I quote often is that there is nothing new under the sun (laughs) Uh, because there isn't really, but there are new ways of slicing and dicing things. Mm -hmm. And often that comes from taking a duck out of water and putting it somewhere else. And that's great (laughs) to write a sort of review of the family day. So how does a (laughs) theatre critic write in their diary each day. (laughs) That's interesting. Yeah. I I like that idea. (laughs) I like it. The fish out of water. Yeah, not duck. Fish out of water because ducks do go out of water and they're quite comfortable. But, yes, fish go out of water, less so. That is the thing about journalism that that I was taught from early age. Man bites dog. Mm. That's how you know a story is a story. Dog bites man. Who cares? Apart yeah. from the man. But man bites dog, that's where there's a story. That's the unexpected.
2: Yeah.
1: And uh, yeah. and I know that's sexist language, but it's from early 1900s, that. So I've used it in the original language.
0: Yes. Yep. <laughs> I appreciate you putting that caveat on there. Yes. Oh, dear. us your your website where can everyone find
1: you talked about marketing.com is my uh, marketing business we are probably around the time this comes out um launching a podcast called talking about marketing oh, cool. uh, with my uh, new business partner um david olney who's a, a an amazing brain former lecturer he's blind he is just uh, all seeing wise man and we bounce off each other nicely. So we're going to share something which I hope is helpful. Um, At the Adelaide show.com.au in any podcast app, look for the Adelaide show, you'll find us and talking about marketing soon. I also do some others that are fun. Um, There's one called This Medical Life, which is a podcast I produced with Dr. Travis Brown. If you um, have a chronic condition and you'd love to dive deep in it this is a podcast in which we go for one disease at a time it's for Ooh. doctors but if you're the person with something like this you get to go deep and you hear how doctors talk to each other about this stuff which is great yeah wow,
0: that sounds um, fascinating
1: oh it, it's 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 amazing uh, I, i'm just i'm i'm just the 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 band who sews it together. Dr. Travis Brown is the brain and our guests are amazing. Um, you know, I'm just there for the, the I'm the show girl. Um, <laughs> and uh, uh, so they're the they're the main things, the characters. If you're on LinkedIn, I'd love you to follow them. Uh, Darren Hill, uh, he's got a website darrenhill.co. He's the social media whisperer. He's just ramping up. Um, and then at, at mbaschool.com.au, you'll find the MBA School of MBA Credentials. Uh, that's where you'll have this wonderful free mindfulness meditation. 13 minutes of your life, you'll never get back. <laughs> uh, and and he's he's quite fun there. I think they're the main things mm-hmm. to share at this point in time.
0: Brilliant. Just on that, your MBA school, do mm-hmm. you find that? People think that that's real.
1: Yes, I had someone this week ask, "What are the rates? What are the costs for attending your school?" Mm. And um, I fessed up to that person. Uh, The person for whom I think uh, I think they're an overseas student, Mm -hmm. and I did want to lead them astray. Um, If it was a local, I might have had more fun with them. But uh, (laughs) um, (laughs) uh, yes, I do. Um, MBA News did a big story on us when we had our MBA uh lunchtime MBA that was a bit of fun yeah um but yeah Professor Longsword chips into the occasional debate every now and then his one mission in life is to make um Philip Kotler who is one of the seminal lecturers and researchers in the realm of marketing like the textbook called marketing is by Kotler et al mm-hmm. and uh Professor Longsword has kept nibbling at him and there's not been a bite yet. Even he's done a series of short videos. You know how you have food and wine pairings?
2: Mm.
1: He has book and textbook and wine pairings. <laughs> so he paired marketing by Philip Kotler to the most atrocious South of African wine you could imagine. Oh, and he said, the only reason it goes with this is because marketing is so dense and tiresome, it will put you asleep if you weren't drinking this horrible liquid from South Africa that is astringent, uh, and oh. still nothing. Crickets, oh, one gosh. day, one you day, know. you
0: got to keep keep trying, don't that's you? That's his
1: goal <laughs> in the nicest possible way.
0: Yes. Oh, good luck with that. That sounds like fun. Thank you so much for coming on, Steve. It's been an absolute pleasure. It's, oh, it's, it's been, been my so pleasure lovely chatting with you and picking your brain and hearing all the awesome things that you've got to share. It's been so great. Thank you. <laughs> uh,
1: look, thank you very much. And thank you for welcoming me into this podcast because it is very overwhelming when I look back at all the different amazing women you've had on
2: yeah.
1: to go, oh my goodness. So I hope there's something useful, helpful, fun at least. Diverting, yeah. hopefully something at least diversional is a new word, doesn't even exist until now.
0: <laughs> well, thank you. First time you've heard it here. Oh, dear. Oh, I'll take care and thank you. Right, thank so you. bye Thanks for your company today. If you've enjoyed this episode, I'd love you to consider leaving us a review, following or subscribing to the podcast, or even sharing it with a friend you think might be interested. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the podcast, please get in touch with us via the link in the show notes. I'll catch you again next week for another chat with an artistic mum.